I wanted to mention one thing before Dean came up, which is this. Um, I was asking the Lord about two weeks ago what was going on, you know, in our nation, or what is just going on in the world right now. You know, I just said, just show me spiritually what is going on. And the Lord gave me this dream, short but really simple dream. There was uh, a... <clears throat> There was this cloud that I was watching. I was watching this cloud. And from behind the cloud, first came out the bear. Like a polar bear. Big, huge, white polar bear. It came and released something into the atmosphere. And then it went back in the cloud and disappeared. I mean, actually went through a different door and disappeared. And then from the same cloud came out a tiger. But it was a white tiger with black stripes and a huge. And uh, when I woke up, I said, Lord, that was really weird. A polar bear and a tiger. I said, how do... I mean, that's like two extremes, you know? Because one lives out in the jungles where it's really hot. One lives in, you know, the Arctic cold over there. And, uh, you know... And the Lord said the polar bear represented um, an agent of destruction for finances. You know, I think there's a phrase they use at uh, Wall Street and all that stuff. I just can't remember the top of my head. Yeah, the bear market. Something has to do with the bear market. You know what I mean? And that bear, when it came out, it was destroying. It released something to destroy the economy of the nations. Then at the same time, when that tiger came out, I said, well, what's up with a white tiger, you know, with black stripes, huge, I mean, awesome blue eyes? They said, that is that's an age, you know, powerful agent of ministry. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I felt Lord was saying that uh, at the same time, the enemy has released his plan. Not saying that any way equal to God's plan. But at the same time, the Lord, ha- the Lord has released okay, a powerful agent, which I believe is Jesus, to fight on our behalf. In every situation that is going on, our homes, our finances, whatever is going on. You know, I just want you, I want to encourage you that the Lord really is concerned and He's taking care of business behind the scenes. Because that's what I saw spiritually. You know. So, and today we have uh, Dean Stein. And uh, he's an awesome guy, and he's, uh, you know, he's he's really anointed concerning finances. He has such an anointing concerning finances, and I'll just give him a little short story, which is, you know, when the Lord told me get my finances in order in my household, you know, the first person I went to was Dean, and he started directing me to different people. Actually, the one person that just started, you know, helping us, and the first. You know, the first thing was the refinance your mortgage. And the Lord gave us so much favor and there was so much anointing. And I just because I responded that with the, with the monthly payments that we were paying at that time, <coughs> we looked at it we said, I think we can afford this. So instead of doing a 30-year loan, we just did a 20-year loan with the same payment. So it went from 30 years to 20 years. So the Lord cut off 10 years off our mortgage. Then the next thing is, Mary had this school loan. And uh, the next thing I know, we get a check in the mail, $10,000, to pay the whole entire school loan. And it was wiped out. So the law wiped out a full debt that we didn't need. You know what I mean? And now we, you know, we, we have the good kind of debt, which is the mortgage debt, which is good. So I just want to tell you, so I was just telling you so that you know that, you know, he really does have that anointing. And, he, you know, if you open your heart and your mind, he will speak into your heart about what the law has for this hour. You know, so come on up, Dean. And he's an elder of the church too. So I'd like to pray for him and release him. Father, just stretch your hands to 
pray him so that Father we just thank you for doing we thank you for this time you've just given him and I ask you Holy Spirit speak through him powerfully you know, give him wisdom and revelation from heaven even things that he didn't even think about let him just speak to us Lord you know, just use him to speak through, through him into the into hearts and things that you want to say to us Lord and just help us during this time Amen Amen. Amen. See, Corey was blessed because he got to have an African introduce him, but then God blessed the African by letting him introduce a Jew. So the, uh, it, 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 keeps, it keeps going. <laughs> now, you heard about the, the, the Jewish guy who got hit by the car, and he's lying in the road, and they call the ambulance, and the paramedics come, and they put him on a stretcher, and they lean over, and they said, Are you comfortable? And he goes, Yeah, I make a good living. That is a funny joke, but it shows us that we really do look at how we feel a lot of times based on our financial circumstances. And Byron asked me if I would speak on finances, and he asked me if this would be heaven's perspective on financing. And he told me, you know, the way he looks at preaching a sermon is he looks at this big pie, and then he looks at taking a piece of that pie out and speaking on that piece. So I had a lot of pie filler. And I just really prayed and asked the Lord, you know, what specifically do you want me to, to speak on? What, what do you want to say? Not what I would like to say, but what do you want to say? And I really believe I have what the Lord wants to say for this congregation in this time. And, and part of it is this. Have you ever been in an airplane and you're flying and you look out the window and it's just gorgeous out there? It's like this really blue, blue sky. And you look down and there's all these puffy white clouds and it's just the sun is shining and it's just gorgeous. And then the captain comes on the radio and he said, it is 45 degrees and raining on the ground. And it's like your perspective of what the weather is is so different when you're above the clouds as it is when you're below the clouds. When you're above your circumstances and when you're below your circumstances. And isn't that what we say all the time? How you doing? Eh, under the circumstances I guess I'm okay. And what the Lord wants us to do is to live our lives above the circumstances not under the circumstances. Um, this is a message to get heaven's perspective on our world, on our country, on our families, and on us individually. Okay? I am in the finance business. What I do for a living, the company that I have, we have a huge company, it consists of me and that's it. And <laughs> what I do is I find money for people to build real estate or buy real estate or refi real estate whether it's a food line shopping center or an office complex or a church building it doesn't matter that's what I do so I deal with investment companies on Wall Street for money banks like Wachovia um, AIG insurance companies Lehman Brothers have you guys ever heard any of those <laughs> are you familiar with those names that's my business every day I get calls on the phone with another lender telling me, Dean, we're out of the lending business. Or, Dean, I'm not with the bank anymore because we're not lending and I can't make money. When I land, I'll call you and tell you where I am and hopefully we can do more business together. I'm getting loan approvals. I had one this month for a $4.5 million loan and we got a call from the lender saying we're not closing the loan. We have no money. I said, well, when are we closing it then? He said, all I can tell you is next year resubmit it if you haven't gotten it done by then and we'll look at it then. I'm getting commitments on loans that they'll say, okay, we'll commit to this loan, but we can't close it until next quarter when we should have some more money. And this is happening on a daily basis. So I say that to tell you that I'm not here in some secure, tight thing, and I'm going to 
preach to you about what you should do if you're one of those people that just lost their job or aren't making enough money to pay the bills or are in a situation where you're afraid you're going to lose your job. I also have lost everything I own twice. Once back in the 80s when it was totally my fault and once in the 90s, when 2000s, when God did it to me. But, <laughs> that's the truth. But anyway, the thing is, is I've, I went three solid years without making a dime. Not that, and I started the company when God told me to and went one full year before making any money. Now, I don't mean like, you know, you got your income, less your expenses, nothing on the bottom line, no profit. I mean no income for a solid year before the company started making money. Three solid years of every business I tried, everywhere I went, couldn't get hired for a job, couldn't make any of my businesses work for three solid years. God showed me how he could sustain me through those three years with no income. It had nothing to do with money. It had nothing to do with cash. It had nothing to do with businesses. And so I'm qualified, not because of what I've, what I've accomplished, but I'm qualified because of what God has brought us through to be able to speak to you. Um, let's, let's start looking at uh, some scriptures. First Timothy 6, 6-10 says, But godliness... Oh, there it is. They, I knew I didn't mess up. Um, that was the previous verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Alright? Let's go through ten. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now there is a lot of keys in that. The first key being the word contentment. Okay? God wants us to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. That scripture says that. That scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil, but it also says that loving money and striving and, and, and pursuing money brings sorrow upon us, but then it says that God wants to bless us with many good things. So it's clear that that's not an anti-money scripture. That's not saying that if you're rich, you're wrong, or if you're doing okay, that you're wrong, and that if you have stuff, you shouldn't enjoy it. You should give every bit of it away and live in poverty. That's not what that scripture's saying. But it is telling us, one, to be content, two, not to go after being rich, and three, if you do, you will bring sorrow on yourself. Now, what has brought about the world as it is today? Our markets. Greed has produced the market that we're in. Okay? If I, and I've sat down with a lot of you and talked to you as you were looking to buy first homes and things like that. And I sat down with people two years ago when they were talking about how they have this opportunity to buy houses for 100% financing. And I said, don't do it. You will be upside down in your house if the market ever goes down. Or subprime loans. Don't do it. You'll buy a house that when you kick into regular rates, you won't be able to afford and you'll lose. Or interest only. And said, don't do it because one day principal will kick in. And at that point, if you bought a house, you can only afford interest only. You'll lose it. Now, if a simple guy like me with no education can foresee that, do you think God is like, oh my gosh, what happened? What are we going to do now? Come on, angels, let's have a huddle. This was foreseen by anybody in the business, and greed is what did it. And how was that money available? 
because of more greed on Wall Street. It was the greed on the consumer trying to get into houses that they had no business getting into, and it was greed on the side of the people that were willing to lend the money, knowing they were going to trip the people up. But you know what? If they could make their money and run, they were good with it. And that's what they've done, and that's what they're doing. And so this is not anything more than something that God foresaw, but there's really even a purpose to what's going on for the people of God. All right, let's look at uh, Philippians 4.11. Now I speak that speak from want, for I have learned, he's speaking from want, or excuse me, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Okay, so we're back here to this word content. Now if you follow that scripture, Paul's saying that I've learned how to abase and be hungry, I've learned how to abound and be full, and then he says the part of the scripture that everybody else knows. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is saying, I can be hungry, and I can abase. I can be without. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Paul's looking at that as much of a positive as when he's saying, and I also know how to be full, and I also know how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I have learned that in whatever situation I find myself, I have learned that I can be content. Contentment with godliness is great riches. Whatever situation you're in, now you may be in a situation where these markets have not affected you at all. You may be where you're in fear of losing your jobs, that they're going to affect you soon. You may be where you have already lost your job. You may be where your last quarterly statement came out and it looked good, and this quarterly statement, it's like, Lord, what happened? You may be where you're young enough that it doesn't matter. You know you've got 20 years before you need it and you're not worrying. It may be where you're ready to draw on it next year. And it's like, oh my goodness, right here at the end. Whatever situation you find yourself in, God knows your situation. He's acutely aware of it. And he's asking you to be content in it. Why? Because you're on uncertain, shaky, unstable ground? Or because you are in the plane above the clouds in God's kingdom. That's what our eyes have got to be focused on. We turn on the news, we turn on the radio, we turn on the TV, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. My mother told me when I was learning to drive a car not to look at the headlights of the car at night in the other lane because you will automatically start to veer toward it. It's true. Anything that you keep your eyes on, you will begin to gravitate toward. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We eat good by the fruit of our mouth. If we're constantly speaking this negative, if we're saying about our situation what the news says about our situation, instead of saying about the situation what God says about the situation, we will get lower and lower. And guess what we will reap? That which we have sown. We spoke it, we got it. It's ours. But, you know, in in my job, I have people all the time saying, you know, Dean, what are you doing? Well, when this all started, I prayed and said, Lord, am I supposed to look at a different means of employment? I wanted to operate in the heavenly realm and ask God, what do I do about the situation? Because when I started this business, the Lord told me to start the business. And I actually went, of the three years that we made nothing, one of them was in this business. I went a solid year from October of 2000 to September of 2001 without making a dime. Nothing. No income, no expenses, well expenses, but without a dime. And then the Lord just turned on the faucet and let it flow. The reason I didn't change You know, it's like, hey, Dean, that's kind of stupid. An entire year, God didn't tell me anything else. Last thing he said was start the business. That was the last thing he said to me, so I had to keep it going. So now when these times come, 
Do I immediately jump into what do I do, how do I react, and jump to a different business? Or do I go back to the one who told me to start the business? And I asked him. And actually, somebody called me and said, Dean, I have got this incredible business that's just booming right now. It's working with foreclosures. We bundle up commercial foreclosures and residential foreclosures. And because of all your contacts with the banks and knowledge on real estate, we would love to have you as part of the team. So I thought, okay, Lord, is this you know, part of it? So I went and I took the test. I actually scored the highest of anyone. And if anyone knows me, I always score the lowest of anyone. And you know, I thought, well, maybe that's God. But then he told me, don't do it. Don't leave the business you're in. Now, isn't that really interesting? Because normally I, I would have done that. I would have thought to do that. But I listened to the Lord. Well, what's really cool right now about my business is that, like I say, it's a tough place to be in. But I am having so many opportunities to share when someone talks to me about the business to say, listen, when it was good times, I never got on my knees and thanked the economy. I never praised the economy. It was always the Lord. And now that times are bad, He hasn't changed. So I continue to thank Him. And where before my business was helping businessmen to get richer, now my business is helping businessmen not to lose everything. Because when you have loans and those loans come due, it used to be easy. You just flip them, the bank renews them, or you move them for better rates or whatever. Now there's no banks to move them to. And the banks that have them don't want them anymore. They're clearing their balance sheets. So you could be in a situation where you have $18 million of your own money invested in a project and you have to walk away from it, go bankrupt and lose it all. And what God is using me for now is to be able to be like a Joseph and to be able to help those people find financing not to lose it. So I can be a blessing in a time. If we take our eyes off of how do I get through it and refocus that energy on how do I help others get through it, what a difference that's going to make in your own personal life. One of the things that can really hurt you is that knee-jerk reaction. Now, Jimmy Purcell is here, so I'm going to use him as an example. If anyone needs a car, pay Jimmy a finder's fee and let him find your car. <laughs> He's excellent at finding almost every car we've ever bought since meeting Jimmy. We bought through Jimmy. And we called him up one day, and I said, Jimmy, I'm going to be wanting to buy a car here in a couple of months. Can you have your eyes out for a Honda Pilot? He calls me the next day says, Dean, I know you said a couple months, but I found a super deal on a Pilot, and we bought it. It was 7000 under Kelly Blue Book. 7000 under Kelly Blue Book. We're going to talk a little bit more about Kelly Blue Book here in a minute. Well, then gas went up a dollar a gallon. So I called Jimmy and said, Jimmy, how do I get rid of the car? <laughs> and Jimmy said, you probably shouldn't get rid of that car, Dean. They're worth 4000 less than what you bought it for. And I said, but Jimmy, we bought it 7000 under Kelly Blue Book. He said, Kelly Blue Book doesn't matter today. Right now, with gas going up a dollar a gallon, that's out the window. It's whatever they can be sold for. You'll lose $4,000 if you sell it today. So then I thought, okay, you got 20 gallons of gas a week, and you've got a dollar more a gallon, that's $20 a week. Times four weeks in a month, that's $80 a month. So if I'm going to lose $4,000 on my car, and it's only going to take, cost me $800 or $960 a year more in gas, I will literally have to go four years of saving gas before I even come to ground zero on my balance sheet. But I could have panicked, saw the gas prices, knew I had a gas hog, and sold my car and lost. Okay, that's the knee-jerk reaction. That's not saying, okay, God, what's your perspective on it? God had Jimmy in my life to give me his perspective on it. And it worked. And now we see gas coming down. Okay, so the, the whole idea in this economy is not to operate in the natural, but to operate in the supernatural. Um, what's the last scripture we put up there? We put up Philippians. Okay, let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 19. 
Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Is it wrong to enjoy the things that God's given us? Is it even wrong to enjoy the material things that God's given us? Absolutely not. Is it wrong to trust in those riches? Absolutely. Are those riches uncertain? Yeah. They that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, distribute willingly to communicate. Is that the end of it? Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. Look at this. God is saying that with your riches, don't trust in them, they're uncertain. Enjoy them, but realize, go back one, realize the purpose for those riches is that you do good with them and you're rich in good works, ready to distribute to those in needs. There's the purpose for being rich. Okay? And then, storing up for yourselves because of foundation against the time to come. Guess what? We're in the time to come. Okay? You've read that scripture for years and years and years. You thought, hmm, the time to come. Guess what? It's here. The time has come. The preparation has come. This is what this time is. All right? So then, um, let's, let's do this real quick. Proverbs 10.22. And one of these are wrong, but we'll see which one. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. But what we read in Timothy said that the rich bring sorrow on themselves, don't they? Here's the difference. Those that strive to be rich bring sorrow on themselves. Those that the Lord makes rich, he doesn't add sorrow with it. 1 Timothy 6.10. Good, Brian. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See the difference? One is you go for it and bring sorrow on yourself. The other is God gives it to you for a purpose and there is no sorrow with it. Proverbs 21.4 was the wrong one. So let's just go right to Proverbs 23.4. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Okay? So here's the difference. We are never supposed to be in a time where we are striving to get wealthy. All right? If we do, it will bring sorrow on us. As a nation, we have strived. On a nation, we have brought sorrow on ourselves. Some people are innocent bystanders of the greed of other people. Some people are participants in it. Either way, you're in the same standing with God. He's going to take care of you. He's going to be with you. He's going to get you to the other side. But that is the key with this. It's a simple thing. God can and desires to make you rich if he's picked you to be one of those people so that you can give to others and help them through that. Okay? Be content whether God has made you one to give away the money. Be content if he has made you to be the one that receives the money. Just be content with wherever God has you. It's a season, guys. It's a season. You know, when I wanted to learn to play guitar, I bought a 12-string because I thought if I can learn to play a 12-string, the 6-string will be a piece of cake. So I did. I bought a 12-string, learned to play on a 12-string. When I started in this business, I started 20 years ago when all the savings and loans had collapsed and the RTC had taken over. And I thought, man, if I can make it in this business during that time, then you know everything else is smooth sailing. And for the last 20 years, for the most part, it has been smooth sailing. But this is 10 times worse than it was before. This is unprecedented bad. This is bad. <laughs> you know, no candy coating here. But the economy that we live in, God's economy, is not even affected by this. But there's a purpose in it for the children of God. I'm going to jump ahead, but I just want you to think about something. Can you imagine being a Jew 
living in Egypt in the land of Goshen and having conversations like this. Oh, man, it's getting bad out there. Did you see that locust? I mean, this plague of locusts has gone through this country. It is absolutely terrible. And then on top of that, they've eaten all the crops. How are we going to have any money? How are we going to have any food? We don't have any crops. Oh, gosh, did you hear about all that cattle dying? Oh, and, and, and the, the waters is turning to blow. We don't even have clean water. This has got to be because of global warming. But all these plagues are coming on our land. And then all of a sudden, one of them says, Hey, wait a minute. We, we live in Goshen. There's a purpose for all these calamities. There's a purpose for all these plagues. It's for our benefit. Oh, my gosh, God's doing this for our benefit. God is bringing us to a place that we've not been before. He's delivering us into the promised land as a result of what He's doing in the land. We're those in Goshen. This is for a purpose. It's not for us. The only thing that this should do for us is to bring us to a place from trusting and looking at those financial statements to trusting and looking to God. Because you know what? This is only preparation for it getting worse. But if we, if we can get to God's economy, to where that's naturally who we are and where we live and how we react, then when it gets really bad, like the world has never seen it or will see it, we're going to be the ones who can navigate through it. So instead of jumping in with the Egyptians and grumbling because the firstborn in your family died, jump in with the Jews, sacrifice the lamb, receive the blood on the doorpost of your heart, and head out to the promised land. That's what God's calling us to do. Teddy Roosevelt, my favorite president, said this, Money is a great servant, but like any servant, it makes a terrible master. Isn't that incredible? Money is a means to an end. The kingdom of God is the end. We have reversed that and perverted that so much where we say God is a means to money, which is the end. We go to God to get us money. We quote scriptures to get us money. We give to get us money. We do all the things to get money because God is the vehicle, the means to get us the money, which is the end. And it's the opposite way. God, God is the end. He's the end. It's for kingdom purposes. Money is just a means. When you get that figured out in your mind that you just see money as the tool for a different purpose and not as the purpose in itself, that paradigm shift will change your life. It really will change your life. Let's look at Revelation 2.16 because this is the key now. This is the slice of pie out of the slice of pie. This is the bottom line of heaven's perspective. You've got to get to this place. It's all in Jesus. It ends with Jesus. I am the beginning and I am the end. It's all in Jesus. Colossians 1.19 It all dwells. The fullness of it dwells in Him. Colossians 2.9 All the fullness of the deity dwells in Him in bodily form. It is all just Jesus. I used to see God as my provider and my company or my employer as my provision. Okay? Or as my, my source. God provides it, the company is the source. And then I realized God is the provider and God is the source. And then I realized it's all Jesus. It has nothing to do with anything else. It has nothing to do with money, numbers written on a financial statement. 
It has nothing to do with these pieces of green paper that aren't even backed by gold and are truly worthless. It has nothing to do with, with um, quarterly statements that come in to say where it is. It, it has nothing to do with your business because God can get you through with or without a job, with or without a business, with or without fiat money. It is all in Jesus. So one of the things that I used to love to do is because I, I like mathematical, just you know, basic mathematics, not like, man, where's Marlon? What did he do on that board the other day? Man, that was blown me away, and I heard it was for like 8th or ninth graders. Um, <laughs> but I, just simple division, addition, subtraction, and I, I always go through math problems like that in my mind. Well, I used to always go through, okay, where, what bullets are coming up? What do I need? What loans do I have in the pipeline? When are they closing? Where are they? How much will I make on each one? How will that do? Blah, blah, blah. What do I do with this money? And I was constantly doing that. And the Lord just said, you know, stop. Stop looking at the loans. They have absolutely nothing to do with you taking care of your financial obligations. You hear what I'm saying? God said the money you make has absolutely nothing to do with it. It is all in me. The fullness of it is in me. You got a bullet? Focus on me. And so I would start to do that. I would just focus on Jesus. And all of a sudden my mind would try to sneak in. You ever have your mind do that? It's such a powerful thing. Try to sneak in a little addition over here. And you'd stop it. And then two seconds later, you don't even realize it. You're driving down the road. Two seconds later, you find yourself right in the middle of doing it again. And you stop it. And this went on for weeks and months and months and months. Till finally, the Lord brought me to the place where I no longer look at anything to do with finances having anything to do with my provision. Only Jesus. When a bullet comes up, I immediately just think of Jesus. Focus on Jesus. That's a hard thing to do, especially if you're goal-oriented, especially if you're budget-oriented, especially if you feel like, geez, that's being you know, careless, that's being slack. Focus on Jesus. Just try it. Just try it and see the salvation of your God. Because when you focus on only Jesus, He doesn't change. You know, when Peter walked out on that water, Peter was really walking on water. How many know that is impossible? That it really is impossible. And then what happened? He started looking at the waves. Well, you know what's cool about waves? They are always changing. You ever try to look at just a wave and it always changes? If it didn't change, it wouldn't be a wave. It'd be, you know, you ever look at the lake and it looks like glass? But when it's waving, those waves are always changing. So, Peter, doing the impossible, began to do the normal. He looked at the changing waves. We have to do what Peter needed to do. When he walked on the water, when he did the impossible, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. Our economy, our global markets, our world markets, our 401ks, everything that we know, everything we have known is basically done away with. Anything that we could trust in before, anything we could count on before, anything we could predict before, the rules have changed. The board has been wiped clean. Those waves are so changing that you can't even follow them from one day to the next. Literally, what, what, you know, $700 billion bailout, yay, oh, it failed. Yay, it passed. Oh, it didn't make a difference. There's nothing that you can predict or count on. So, is it really that foolish to only look at Jesus and not look at that? To train yourself to only look at Jesus? To hear what he's saying? To follow him? To know where you are? No, no. It's actually about the only really smart, practical thing that you can do. And pray for wisdom. Pray and ask God, I need spiritual wisdom. I need to be like the sons of Issachar and have an understanding of the times. We, uh, we know that God destroyed the earth by flood, but we know he provided an ark for Noah and his people. We know that God threw Jonah into the sea, 
We know that he provided a fish for him. We know that Joseph was thrown into Egypt, okay? But God provided sanctity for him, even in a jail. And then we know that when the great famine came and was going to wipe out the people of God, that Joseph was uniquely positioned to carry on the Jewish race to bring forth the Messiah. And so what are we? Aren't we really all either in the ark or building the ark? We really only, as God's people, we really only fall into two categories. We're either in the ark, God is going to take care of us, or he's actually going to use us to help others and we're builders of the ark. That's the only two categories that we can find ourselves in. And he is bringing us to a place where we learn to trust him and not be afraid in this day. So we should be embracing these times. Really, think of yourself in the land of Goshen. Embrace these times. See yourself in a different area than the rest of the world because the wrath of God is not appointed unto the children of God. See yourself in Goshen, not in Egypt. Now, if you have trusted in riches, today is the day to repent. If you've been stingy with your money and you've not given it when God has told you to give it, today's the day to repent. If you've been greedy for gain, today's the day to repent. If you've been dishonest in any of your business dealings, today is the day to repent. If you've looked to anyone or anything else to supply your needs, anyone or anything else to supply your needs, today is the day to repent. Okay? God is not mad at you. He's not saying repent. He's saying, Daddy's here. and Daddy's got a plan. And you're all part of it. And He wants to remove any obstacle that could keep you from receiving what He has for you. And the way He removes that obstacle is simply by coming to a place of repentance. Every investor knows that if you're in a market and it's not doing good and you know of a market that is doing good, you need to move your money. Okay? So let's look at God's market. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. God is saying there's a couple of markets out there this one, you got a good chance of losing it all. This one, you can take with you. Those are the two markets. So this is God's market. And for some reason, none of the newscasters ever talk about this market still doing good. You know? In the economic news today, the market plunged 800 points. But in the good news is the heavenly market is going strong, and there seems to be no decline so far. Yeah. Now I want to show you just a couple of really simple practical things here, okay? So let's put up the first thing. All right. You do not need to pray to ask God if you should get out of debt, okay? I can let you know I talked to him. He said yes. Get out of debt, all right? Now, the first thing you're going to think of when I go through this is I don't have any extra money to pay anything extra on my bills and get out of debt. Let me ask you this. Remember when gas was 50 cents a gallon more last month? An average of 20 Gallons of gas a week, let's do that again. 50 cents a gallon, $10 a week. Four weeks in a month, $40 a month, okay? 
You spent $40 a month more in gas last month than you're spending this month. You have the $40. I'm serious. Think about that. You have the, where is it? I don't know where it is, but you spent it in gas last month, right? So here's what you do. You take two Maneva envelopes. One, you put your name on it. One, you put your spouse's name on it. And every single dime, every single dime, even if it's for a gumball, for the next 30 days you put in here, whatever you spend your money on. At the end of, and and it's, not, it's not hard. Just You spend it, take it out of your wallet, stick it in the envelope. Don't even look at it. Stick it in the envelope. At the end of 30 days, you sit down at the dining room table and you look at where your money went. And you'll be shocked. And you'll see where you may have an extra $25 a month to, put on the, to pay on the, bill, uh, the dillage card. Okay? Now... Whenever I counsel people financially, I tell them to do this, their reaction, I think, should be, man, that is an excellent idea. Thank you. <laughs> their reaction is always this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we might, be, we might be able to do that. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> because nobody wants to do that because nobody really wants to come to terms with their, where their money's going. Have you ever read the book, The Automatic Millionaire? It's got this thing in there called the latte factor. If you're under 30 years old, I probably bought you that book, okay? (laughs) The latte factor. You can be a millionaire on what you spend at Starbucks. And it shows it in black and white. It's real. It's real. You can earn a million dollars on what you spend at Starbucks. I'm not kidding. He's got it in black and white. All right, so what you do is you start with your... Now, everybody's got a different thing. Some say pay the biggest bill. Some say pay the smallest. Some say pay the biggest balance. Some say pay the smallest. Some say pay the most interest. I don't care what you do. Do something. If you do nothing, you get nowhere. But if you do something, you're at least going to be ahead. This is my recommendation. Take your smallest payment on your smallest balance. $25, thank you, $25 on the billards, okay? Notice you have 75 on the MasterCard and 100 on the Visa. Take and get rid of that $300 Dillard's, cut the card up, throw it away. If you can't afford a cash, don't buy it in the first place, and go on to the next slide. Take the $25 and turn your $75 MasterCard payment into $25 more. Every dime goes to principal. Jenny's telling me to slow down. Every dime goes to principal. Okay? In a minute, I'm going to show you how fast you wipe out debt when you pay extra on principal. Every dime goes. Pay off the MasterCard. Now you have, instead of 100 to go to your visa, you have 200 to go to your visa. And continue doing this. Cut up the card when you're done paying for it or put it in a drawer. Okay? If you, and if you've got to pull it out of the drawer and spend it, then you know next time cut it up. Okay? And pay off those debts. And every time you pay off a debt, don't increase your standard of living. Don't go out to dinner more. Take that money and put it to the next one and pay off the next debt. You will get out of debt that way you won't get out of debt doing nothing. Now, watch what happens. Let's go to our slide for a car. Okay? We have a car loan for $19,000. All right? We pay 8% interest on that 19000 Now, first of all, you have a car loan for 19000 because you didn't go to Jimmy. But anyway, you have a car loan of $19,000. And you pay for that over a five-year period, and you pay 8% interest. And if you go to loan summary, you see that you pay $385 a month, and it's going to take you 60 months, five years. All right? You're going to wind up paying $4,115 in interest on that loan. All right? Now look at the magic of stop, take $25, turn it into $50, turn it into $100, turn it into $200. Now we go to this one. We have the same $19,000 loan, the same exact interest rate, the same five years, but we're going to add $200 payments to the bottom. Our payment is still $385, but we're going to add $200 to it. That 60 months, that five years, just turned into 37 months. Three years 
You just wiped out two solid years of your car payment. Two years. Instead of paying $4,000, you pay $2,500. You've put $1,500 in your bank account, and all you did was take the little bit extra from the Dillard's and the MasterCard, paid them off, had the expendable income, and put it. Now, don't try to discipline yourself every month to do it. Don't make the decision every month whether you're going to do it. Set it up automatically. Set it up on a bank draft. Let them pull it out. But instead of 385, tell them it's 585. Automatically. You'll never miss it. Honestly. It'll go and it'll go. And you don't have to re-discipline yourself every month to do it. Make it automatic. That's what the whole book, The Automatic Millionaire, is about. All right. Now, if that works for car loan, what about your house loan? You have a $250,000 house. You got a good 6.5% interest. You ain't seen that today now. You have 30 years to pay off the house, and your scheduled payment is $1,580 a month. It'll pay off in 360 months, 30 years. All right? And you will pay $319,000 interest on your $250,000 house. So, what can we do about it? Well, let's see. We just got rid of that car payment, so we really have more than $300 a month to deal with, but let's just take $300 a month. $300 a month with the same loan amount, same interest rate, same period in years, same payment, only now we're down to 236 payments? Wait a minute. Did we just pay this house off in 19 and a half years? Did we just take 10 years? Now you don't have to wait till you're 60 to retire. You can retire at 50. Or you can retire and not have a house payment when you retire. You see what you did there? You took 10 years. Instead of paying $319,000 in interest, you took it down to $193,000. You saved $125,000. Go out and buy another house. No, I mean, I'm really serious. You know, real estate has its ups and downs. We're in the middle of a down. You got a little bit of cash? I recommend you go out and buy a rental house. Let somebody else make the payments for you for the next 20 years and then retire with a paid-for house. Then you'll have about $1,500 a month income. I mean, seriously. That's, that's doing Joseph stuff. All right? Now let's go back to our car buying. We have a $19,000 on our car, but let's see why it's only 19. A Honda Pilot in 2009 sells for $36,000 today. But if you buy an 07 Honda Pilot, two years old, with only 18,000 miles on it, in other words, you have your factory warranty, and if you sniff in real hard, a little new car smell. You save $14,000. I can buy a ton of new car smell spray for $14,000. What if you want to go a little classy? You got a 2009 Lincoln Town Car. You pay $51,000 for it today. But if you get one with just 18,000 miles on it, a 2007, that car is now 21000 You saved $29,000. I wrote another one down here. I pulled off this morning. An 09 caravan. Check this out. You're a minivan family? If you buy an 09 caravan today, you'll pay $24,000 for it. Here's what's wild. Go buy a brand new 08 caravan and you're down to $20,000. You just saved $4,000 because you didn't need to say, I've got the 09. They're still both brand new and you save $4,000. But then, I tell you what, let me go with an 06 caravan and let me have 36,000 miles on it. You know, if you buy a car with 18,000 miles, eventually you'll have 36 on it too. All right, so start off with the 36, $10,815. Less than half. I bought a brand new Jaguar in 99, cost $56,000. I looked good in it. <laughs> I went into the bagel business, I lost everything. Eight months later, I had to sell my Jaguar for $40,000. All 
All right? I realized that some smart doctor from Florida who saw it on the Internet bought it for $16,000 less than I paid for it, and it was still brand new. It's the last new car I bought. You know, I'm, my, my car out there, it's a good-looking car. I know I look real cool in it. I look better since I lost the weight. I paid a fraction of what that car was worth because I bought it three years old with 56,000 miles on it. I probably paid less for that than somebody else in here who bought a new car, and I get to drive a convertible Mercedes. I'm telling you, it's this kind of simplified stuff that God can give you wisdom for. And, yes? Yeah, we'll, we'll, all right, we'll do that. And then after we do that, we're, we're going to go ahead and pray. Because, and, and, and here's what we just need to pray for. Is, is If you need to repent, don't come to me and tell me you need to repent. Just do that. But if you want pray just that God gives you the grace to just make it automatically who you are, that you are on that airplane above those circumstances and are not going to participate. Because remember this, when you start getting scared about what's going on around you, you live in Goshen. Okay, This is not to you, this is for you. And it's going to give you an opportunity to help those in the world who have no idea what's going on, what's going on, and bring them into the kingdom. And that's the purpose for God shaking the financial foundations of the world we live in. When the foundations are doing fine, who needs God? But when all of a sudden everything you've known and everything you've been securing and everything you put your trust in is shaken, all of a sudden you start looking heavenly. And where are God's people? We are right there positioned to give them what they need. That's the purposes for what we're going through. Trust in God. Trust in God. Amen.